conversation with Heather Ayers today starts with um, a fun conversation about owls. However, we quickly move on to get to the real heart of the matter. So to introduce Heather, she is a graduate of Brown University who went on to become a director of admissions at Wellesley College. She served on the board of admissions with Brown University and has an incredible depth of understanding about the college admissions process. I'm not sure how she discovered our little podcast, but she is a fan of our little podcast. And we thought that bringing her, bringing her on to talk about the PSATs and more would be a helpful new voice, a new perspective in a relatively old but very important conversation that we continue to have. Heather believes that a student's confidence and independence in the search process is the ultimate key to their success. Testing can be a part of that process for students, but more so a connection to their passions, their community, and academics can positively shape an application and truly inform an admissions counselor about the character of that applicant. Just wanted to thank Heather for coming on our little podcast, having some fun with us around owls and other topics, and most of all, just sharing with us her passion for students and the application process. You know, I had an owl in my dreams last night, so I think that's a good omen. Hopefully. <laughs> I have them right around my house. I, In fact, I took a... Uh, we got home from grocery shopping the other day and there was this blue jay down by the stream going bananas and there was an owl sitting in the maple tree that I chose not to cut down because my neighbor said, boy, I could just picture an owl sitting in this tree right above the stream thing. And and he just sat there for the longest time. And then my wife and daughter watched him fly out of the tree and kill a mouse or something. Heather Ayers, and I um, have been working in and around the area of school to college transitions at the secondary and the post-secondary level my whole career, my long career. And I've done that uh, in a variety of ways, both in the classroom as a high school English and history teacher at the collegiate level, teaching writing courses uh, to students and education courses and also um, as a director of admission at Wellesley College, uh, on the board of admission at Brown University, as an academic dean at William and Mary. Um, so I've worked with students in lots and lots of different capacities, advising them and counseling. Um, and I do a lot of college counseling now with public school students and work with public school systems too. So, um, and in my back pocket, I have a little bit of experience having worked at the college board specifically teaching schools um, different ways to use PSAT data because when students take the test, it gives them an opportunity to get some really productive feedback. Um, and, uh, you know, that feedback can be used in a variety of ways to, for example, help identify students for AP courses that mean kids that show promise and may not think of themselves necessarily as taking those courses, but really um, might be ready for that greater challenge and also helping students to figure out some of the areas that they might have been sort of unevenly prepared for, let's say, or forgotten some stuff in math. And uh, with a little tuning up, they can start college that much more ready to be successful. And I'm not ignoring you. I I had a 
your computer's about ready to die warning. And I had to quickly <laughs> plug myself in. So uh -oh. A lot of, we'll take, a lot we'll of take technical the owl omen over that. <laughs> a lot of technical difficulties in today's podcast. That was a much too long-winded uh, response to your question, but it, it was a response. <laughs> no, we're good. Um, so obviously today we're going to talk about PSATs. And I really, Heather, I don't really know where to begin because it's a topic of conversation that I think we love to have, we hate to have, we wish would stop, we know it's <laughs> never going to stop. Um but it's all good. It, it, they're all good conversations. So perhaps maybe I'm going to start with um, how do we help students manage the perceived pressure of testing and feelings of inadequacy when they don't perform well? Okay. Well, I want to say, can we just actually talk about what the PSATs are supposed to measure first? Yes. Okay. So the PSAT, SAT, and ACT, the College Board and ACT say that they're tests of college readiness, which is true to some extent. It's certainly true to some extent, but it's just one facet, one small facet of what a more comprehensive picture of readiness looks like. And it points to some very specific things that I think, it, you know, valuable to suss out. What is your ability to pick up content from historical context or literary context or science for the general public kind of context to read it, comprehend it, infer some things from it, interpret a graph, interpret a chart, and use that information. All of those sorts of things are appear on, the, on those tests in a particular context that does tend to create anxiety for students because it's a time setting, mm -hmm. you know, you're, uh, uh, you know that you're being measured against other people in, in the way that the test is scored. And so it's not exactly like the most relaxed situation to demonstrate what you know and can do, you're, you know. Um, the tests also on the math side, and the questions are ordered to be progressively more difficult. Test your understanding of algebra, as we were talking about uh, last week, is, you know, sort of your ability to solve for an unknown, to understand a linear equation, geometry, um, trigonometry, some statistics, again, your ability to infer and interpret things. So the skills that they test are obviously skills that, you know, are, are foundational to being able to sign up for four or five courses when you go to college and, and um, feel prepared to manage the workload. Um, but for goodness sakes, that is not all the college readiness entails. I mean, you know, do you care to pick up the text and read it, you know, and, and, and want to ask questions about it? Um, do you feel a sense of motivation to ask and answer questions using that information because you, you know, have, have feel a sense of purpose, you know, to make whatever it is, to take whatever skills and talents or natural ability you have and use it to make the world a better place. You know, there are lots and lots of things that motivate students and then influence students and in their academic success. So I guess I just, I wish if, by uh, way of entering into this conversation about how we sort of lower the flame on these tests, I feel like if we're crystal clear, this is what they 
are purporting to assess, they give you some feedback. You can take or leave that feedback. Uh, and if you do decide to take a test at the vast majority of colleges where you might apply, you have a choice about whether you want to present those tests or not. So why not use them to your own benefit? Why not try to get the upper hand here? And just basically, you know, take that information. Maybe you get your math PSAT results back and you see that you got the first six or seven easy questions wrong. Guess what? You can go back, relearn that material real quick, feel like you've got it at your fingertips and use it next year, potentially. Victory for the little people. <laughs> you're, you're hopefully that much more confident. Um, it's it's kind of good to know how you you know how you're doing and where you stand with some of this stuff. If it's if it if it feels like it's distracting away from other more important things that you should be doing, set it aside. It's okay. I just worked with a student this past week. And she's she is very anxious ab about standardized testing and just about her performance in general. And she had gotten her PSAT results back, and I said, "How'd you do?" And she was you know hesitant to share. And I said, "Just." you know, give me a feel for, for what, what transpired. How did it feel to take that test and so on and so forth. We were talking about her commitments outside of school with work and other things and her efforts in school. And she's in a really rigorous curriculum right now. And I said, by far and away, Mia, how you do in your classes is so much more important than anything else right now. You're doing really, really well and you're working hard. And maybe, you, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense for you to take standardized tests. I said, you know, if you take them, you don't have to report them. And she said, what? And I said, no, if you take them looking at the schools, that, you know, you think you're going to look at, you don't have to report them. She's like, well, well, then I want to take them. <laughs> She's like, okay, well, then you can take them. But, and you have some information right now so that you're efficient in your studying from the PSAT. Use that information, study with some efficiency, take a couple practice tests, go in there, see how you do. If it doesn't feel good and you don't like the result, keep on rolling. If you take it and you get some more feedback and you're like, I think I could do better and I would like to test again, go ahead and test again and then be done with it. Set it aside, put it in its proper place because your academic performance in your classes and you're developing areas of interest and the things you're doing outside of school right now matters so much more to the person you're becoming and the student you're going to be when you go to college. So... Um so I think that that definitely answered the question. And I, I, I guess I just, I struggle with the, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to put some words to this that are probably more my words than, than anybody else's, mm -hmm. but the, the intensity around testing like the mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's a generational thing like in as a parent I had to test in order to get into college so my kids have to test and mm -hmm. you have to do well in order to get into college because that's the way it was when I was applying to college so there's this perceived intensity mm -hmm. and I I would love for all of my students to take the test SAT, ACT, I don't really care if they could get past the intensity that comes with taking the test. Take the test for the information that it brings 
to the whole picture, but it's hard for them to separate themselves from the schools they could go to if they get a certain score and the and taking the test because it's a healthy thing to do. Does that make sense? It does. I think it, in part it's because um, so there's this it, the test itself and the results are amplified relative to all the other components that comprise the the materials that you'll, you're going to present to a college or an employer to show you're ready to, to be good at, you know, at that next step. It is way, way, I mean, it casts all these other things in shadow and shines this bright light on this particular and very narrow thing, aspect of readiness, right? And it is on a cosmetic level, one of the only things that people kind of know about each other or share, your GPA and your SAT. They don't know that, you know, you were the kid who, I was just talking to another student the other day, little kid, he got the um, best player for some tournament and he knew he didn't deserve it. He thought somebody else played better than he did. And he actually gave that award to this other kid. Hmm. <laughs> That's the kid I want in my classroom. Absolutely. <laughs> That's the kid I want to employ, you know, um, not the person who in this very narrow space you know, was able to pick from among a bunch of, you know, tricky answers to questions, you know, so it, it does, uh, as I said, it shines a bright light, it amplifies, it even casts some shadows, some of the things that you and I know, as people who've lived a little longer, <laughs> are far more important to your overall ability to contribute, and to make a difference, and to use your talents in ways that are you know, not just good for you, but for everybody <laughs> too, right? Um, you know, we don't have uh, a test of your capacity to collaborate. Of course, there are sorts of assessments you can, you know, do to, to observe people in different settings or um, a willingness to learn from others or, um, you know, uh, an interest in other people, you know, in their perspectives. We don't have assessments of that. Those things are every bit as important when you're sitting in a discussion to make that discussion go to the next higher level in an academic setting as you know once once you're all sort of the same level you're understanding the text it's the discussion is going to only move forward if you have those other skills right, <laughs> right? so um yeah that's that's part of it that's what's i think so frustrating and smart they know that you know they snip it out so what so was or is the is stand was standardized testing or is standardized testing ever used because I think this might be part of the perception ever used as a rule in rule out criteria you didn't score x so we're not going to consider your application in my experience and and in very highly selective admission processes absolutely not that and that's that's always been my perception mm-hmm how how is it and and i don't know if this is a fair question to ask given some of the other questions we've talked about chatting around but how is it used then because we now have test optional and it mm -hmm. seems like if it was never used as a rule in rule out criteria in most instances we're not going to say absolute things that in a lot of in some capacity schools have 
historically been test optional, although it might not have been advertised. Okay. How is it used in 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 within the admissions process? And then how is it used like in context with the student's school? Mm -hmm. So um, uh, this is kind of, I, I want to answer as clearly as I possibly can, but begin with the fact that test scores function differently in different applications. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm speaking really general, which might not be fair, but. Yeah, no, no, I think it's a really interesting question too. So let's just go sort of at a, at a, the, at the level of understanding the student's high school in context, right? So students from your high school have a long history and tradition of attending the state and uh, universities and colleges in Vermont. Yep. They have an enormous amount of data on students with different kinds of programs of study and GPAs and so on and so forth, even patterns of, of performance in those classes who would then landed on their campuses and attended. So if you're in a, in a system like that and, you know, um, and a student lands on your desk and you're reading their application and they don't present test scores, you know what a Champlain Valley student looks like, right? You, 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 or know what to expect right. in that application. So the test scores are really, really not very helpful in, in that context, right? Um, unless, unless, for example, you've got a student who has performed unevenly, let's say in math, because their preparation, they maybe, you know, something happened during their high school career, and then they turn up a test score that suggests that, you know what, they do have the foundation. It just isn't, isn't as well represented on the transcript for, you know, A, B, and C reasons having to do with the family's life, the student's life circumstances or a teacher, you know, uh, student relationship. There are all kinds of factors that, you know, affect how students perform or their willingness to, to perform, you know, um, as well as they could in a class and or ability to. And so you've got this little extra data point over here that says to you, you know what? Mm. Uh, I want to make sure I'm fair to the student in terms of assessing their readiness to be successful in the curriculum they're, they're telling me they want to pursue. And I have this extra little bit of data here to suggest that they are ready. I'm going to I'm going to hedge against this grade and I'm going to perhaps call the school counselor <laughs> to say, has this person gotten past all this and it's a little more mature in the way that they're handling this. Um, um, are they ready to ask for help if they need it? <laughs> you know, is there evidence in the in the rest of the application to suggest that I should be using this this little extra piece of information to compensate for that? Other way around, you know, if your test scores kind of, if you if you will, underestimate your performance, the person who's reading your application is like, whatever, whatever. You know, you're already doing the work and showing you can do it. The test scores just don't mean that much anymore because you're already producing at the level you need to produce to be successful. So they know that all the other facets of your academic um, skills and, and abilities are in place in a way that is allowing you to do what you need to do. And it'll all come along over time. And that's the test scores don't mean so much in that instance either. If you were applying to school in South Carolina where they didn't know you so well, 
you know, I don't know how many students applied to the College of Charleston or to the Citadel for that matter from your school. College of Charleston is like the the new Northeastern, right? The, oh, okay. the number of students that I have seen in the last several years applying to College of Charleston is... So now you're getting a pipeline there and the scores are going to mean less. But at the very beginning, when you were knocking on their door, it might have been that they would have right. looked at your school profile and looked at the testing and said, okay, first of all, let me just tell you that your means place you, you know, in the 65th or 70th percentile overall of schools that are sending students to college. That's for the entirety. And you have a big population of students that are going. And, you know, I can see that if you're in the top, you know, 125 students in this class, you're, you're cooking with fire. It's not about your test scores. It's about the other stuff that you're presenting to us. So the, the, the test scores in that context just kind of situate the student yeah. um, with, a, with a profile. If you're a standard deviation, 30 points or 60 points or three standard deviations above the mean, you're great. You're fine. You're going to be fine. It's not about the test. It's about the other stuff. Um, so it's, you know, the, your transcript is really the heart of your application. And the rigor of the program of study and the, you know, the fact that you are, you've been graded based on proficiency, for example. You know, those are all the things that matter. Um, it's a baseline. Then it's then it's about all the other qualities that make you a better fit than somebody else might be for a school. So when um, so when somebody hears that a school is test optional, mm -hmm. and I know this is veering off into the topic of a, a, perhaps a little bit of a different topic, but mm -hmm. for the sake of our conversation today, what does test optional mean? And perhaps as you're in your role as as former. Dean of Admissions and all, yes. of the, all of the other things. What what does or did test optional mean? Yep. What test was used school. in its play in the place of testing, that kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, there are a handful of schools now that are truly test blind that don't want you to send their scores like Caltech and, you know, the UCs. Yep. Um, test flexible, test optional means you present if you think it's going to strengthen your application. And if you don't, we aren't going to penalize you because we have lots of other places to go and uh, find the information we need to see whether your program of study and your performance in that program of study and the way that you learn and how you perform and you know, in the classroom, who you are as a student, whether that suggests that you're gonna be prepared for the first year experience at our place. Um, and, as you know, I mean, as a rule of thumb, during COVID, we were saying before <laughs> fewer and fewer, fewer students were submitting the test scores. Now we've got like this sort of ratcheting up of the average test scores that's, that schools are reporting because fewer and fewer students are reporting only those students that fit in the median range, median 50%, 25th percentile to the 75th percentile on a distribution of, of test testers that were admitted to that college. Where do you fall in that median range? If you if you fall within it or above it, then it it probably will strengthen your application to submit test scores. And if you don't, then it probably won't strengthen your application. 
Um, that was what we were saying at first. I'm starting to look at this a slightly different way. And I don't know how much your counseling team sits down with students to look at this information. But if you look at a scatter plot of students' GPA and test scores for your high school, mm -hmm. there are times when you're looking at a student's GPA and you see their testing and you think, oh my gosh, these tests really do underestimate your, your performance. So let's just set them aside. We're not going to even talk about it anymore because you're, you're, you're rolling right way past the, you know, what the tests yep. are predicting. And then there are times when you see somebody who's like, yeah, you know what, actually the, the, you know, two predictors are pretty clearly putting you in a particular space in that quadrant that makes sense. And there's a lot of that, you know, there's this, if you look at it, I'm sure if you looked at a UVM scatter plot, you know, you'd see a really nice, rich cluster up here in the right quadrant of students are yep. testing a particular way, grades are a particular, you know, predictive. They're reinforcing what the grades say already. That's great. All right, we're reinforcing each other. That doesn't really add a lot of new information either. And occasionally you'll have somebody who's testing beyond what their grades predict. And those are students that, you know, are sometimes worth looking at because they show some amount of potential. But in the same way that you would look at somebody whose grades are outpacing their tests. And typically, I would say I'd rather take the student whose grades and actual performance is outpacing their tests than the student whose tests are outpacing their performance because there's a gap there that, right. you know, raises questions. On the other hand, there are occasionally, and I can, you know, I can still think of cases where I experienced this, where, you know, students were really alienated from their high schools for one reason or another, and they were really struggling and they were really compelled to learn independently and they had great minds and they were interesting people and we and we would wrestle with whether or not they were going to be mature enough and together enough to successfully transition to high from high school to college that was further away from home you know so those are real questions i mean where the faculty is looking at a student who shows great promise in some ways that are pretty atypical and the folks the dean of students office and other people are sitting around going okay that's that's you know true and and we want to be hopeful but we're not quite sure if the transition is going to be one that this person can manage with respect to what you were talking about um, and uh, advising students if a school is test optional one one hopes that they have done the uh, research on their end to say, um, you know, what's the predictive validity of these tests? And if we don't have students submitting, do we feel like we're making fair and wise decisions from the standpoint of taking the students that are going to be, you know, able to achieve and contribute the most here um, from this applicant pool without those, the addition of a, a test score? And I presume that at a place like BC, they're, they're finding like, you know, increasingly they're getting the class that they would like to be able to render with, you know, maybe, and I don't mean to pick on BC by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, they- I was they just going to put a qualifier in there. That, that was a name of a school that just came out of my yeah. head, not yeah. casting aspersions so, on them. Yeah, no, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, gosh, talk about a school that uses their- their supplemental essays to really suss through yeah. thoughtfulness and, you know, making sure that students are understanding what it is that they're saying that they are committing to do once they get there, you know, in terms of the values that they want to line up with their beliefs and their behaviors. Um, and 
with respect to testing in that situation, they they obviously they they truly are test optional. They really don't think that they need that information. And I guess it you know it's it's helpful on the margins for some students to submit. I would have to look at the data on what percentage are submitting and how, what percentage are getting admitted and um, whether and you that's really data that can help you to understand whether or not um, it's worth it to submit in any event because more students that submit are getting accepted because they feel like they've got a little bit more information to rely on. I don't know. Do admissions committees release that information on their website like that we we're just talking about? Other Some than, other do, than yes. here's the accepted range. Yep. Yep. And this is the percentage that um that submitted. Yeah, the, the places that are being super transparent are doing that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here's a percentage that's submitted here or, you know, you, 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 or there, you know, in some instances, you don't need to submit your, your test optional now, but we do, we'd like you to submit your test when you get here. Right. We need to do those studies that we were just talking about. We think we're going to stay test optional, but we need some more data to be able to predict whether or to, to be able to, you know, analyze whether or not we're able to, to choose as diverse and interesting a class as we would have if we did have those tests. Yeah, I've had students actually concerned about submitting after they've been accepted for fear that that would rescind oh. the application. I'm like, no, they need no, it. No, for, no, no. They, perhaps they you qualify the for the honors college. They're trying to collect data around mm -hmm. do the remain test optional. Mm -hmm. You're you're not going to get an acceptance and then have it pulled back because you they this was a tricky way of getting your test scores. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I really, really, oh, I know it's so hard for people to have faith in this, but I do really want to drive home. It is your transcript. It's the rigor of your program. It's your performance over time in your courses. As you mature into the student that you're becoming in your junior and senior year, even that first semester senior year is, is so important, as you yeah. know, because people are beginning to coalesce. And, you know, as they write their applications, even you start to see them growing in their understanding of the people they're becoming and the beliefs that they really want to abide by and all that sort of stuff. It's great. And so the the folks that are on the receiving end of your applications really do appreciate that. And they want to, they want to, you know, like you're writing applications, you're trying to do well in the hardest program of study you've ever you've encountered so far. You know, you're supposed to be a leader and your school and doing all these things. Senior year is so, so intense for students. It really is. And and if we can lighten any level of that by taking out the testing piece and putting it in its proper perspective, I think that would be delightful given the complexity of people's lives these days. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of the whole purpose of of why I've been doing the the podcast that I've been doing and interviewing the college reps is really just to help families understand. The importance of the high school transcript, because mm -hmm. it gives it gives that longitudinal three year study of performance and things that you're interested in, passionate about versus a three hour assessment on a at seven thirty on a Saturday morning. For God's sake, yes. So, um, one of the things I'll say here too is that so often it's not until the end of junior or beginning of senior year that students are getting a chance to really make more and. Uh, uh, specific choices that reflect their interests. 
and you can see when they catch fire. Yeah. And oftentimes yep. it's that area that they're going to pursue when they go to college. So you're like, yeah, you know, get steeped in that as much as you can in high school, really, really take advantage of it so that when you launch into college, you're really ready to embrace that next opportunity. Um, the people that and, are reading do understand that. And it, and it's, I see it as, as my job to push those students into classes that I believe they can be successful in, not just because it, I'm not doing it because I think it will enhance their transcript, mm -hmm. but darn it. I think that that's going to be an area where I really see you launching from. Yeah. Um, and now yeah. you're, now you've launched your admissions committees, reading it, seeing that, appreciating it. And now you're inspired and now you're mm -hmm. wanting to take more and more of these kinds of classes. And that's, mm -hmm. That's when, I don't know, from my from my perspective, when it's super fun to watch students just explode with enthusiasm and um, not measured on the SAT or ACT. <laughs> yeah, but that's right? the that's There's the cool part about. I would imagine an admissions counselor has the opportunity to see. Yeah, I I was going to say that's that it's that. The, the moment, you know, when you see students growing into the people they're becoming, right, and recognizing that uh, they see the world a little differently in this way or that way, or they notice something that other folks don't notice this way or that way, and that is what they have to offer. That's that's their superpower. <laughs> um, that's what we're, we're, we live for, that kind of talent development. I, I have a young man who's is a is a child of immigrants parents do not speak english um very worried about his application and the things that he's heard all along that he needed to do to to have a solid application and we're working on the common application and talking about involvement and he's like i don't have any sports I'm like I know I don't have any, I don't have any activities, clubs, organizations. I know, but your family owns a restaurant and your family doesn't speak English. So who does all the translating? Who runs the, who, who essentially makes that entire operation go? And you could see his eyes. You mean somebody's gonna, somebody's gonna see that? Somebody's going to recognize that I'm serious and that I can like, oh my goodness. The amount of adult responsibility you've already assumed. <laughs> like you, right? you rise so far up the ladder, not have, you no, know, you don't have 10 activities to list, but what shows the ability to manage self better than the work that you've already done. And they don't, that doesn't come across on a test. But it yeah. comes across in your essay, on your application, it comes across everywhere else that you are ready for this challenge. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, we haven't talked about this before, but this is this is something I feel extremely passionate about and just gave me a little bit of an inlet to, to mention. When you read tens of thousands of applications from students from all over the country and the world, and you see the educational backgrounds of families, and you see the language exposure that students have had, and you you look at those things and you see test scores. You deeply, 
deeply understand, you begin to get a much more nuanced understanding of the histories of educational opportunity and, and the, the, the things that students, the areas where students can show their intellectual firepower, their resilience, their sense of responsibility, maturity, and awareness of the world, and places, as I said before, where the test sort of casts stuff in shadow that is much more essential to their, the, you know, the academic, uh, the way they're going to enhance an academic setting with their understanding. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I ran a program for first generation college goers in the city of Providence. There was a large Hmong Malaysian population, a large Salvadorian population. It was fascinating. Kids from all different kinds of religious traditions, uh, educational histories, language backgrounds, working together. It was unbelievable. Every, every you know, time I left that program and I, 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 I learned so much from these students and I carry that with me. And that's kind of where I see, you know, <laughs> how the, the proper perspective for standardized testing, <laughs> if you will, um, if we're really committed to developing the nation's talent, if we're really committed to, to recognizing and finding those, those students that you're talking about. Thankfully, he has you as an adult in his life who is, you know, uh, validating the all that he has to offer. And otherwise, you know, what a loss if that student doesn't stay in the pipeline and go to, you know, university or college and share. Absolutely. And influence other people's thinking and understanding. So, so I, I have really to ask so critically important. Yeah. I have to ask this question then, because I and I maybe that's this is podcast standardized testing part two, and this is the only question put out <laughs> there. But what is the future of standardized testing? Because in its current iteration, with all of the things that we've just talked about and mm -hmm. how it it may not be a great measure of or predictor of college success for every student, mm -hmm. what is its future? Mm -hmm. Well, with the state of California backing away from it, obviously, that's a huge percentage of people that aren't sitting for the Absolutely. test. It's expensive to make. Tests are expensive to administer. Um, I hope that our ability to use uh, assessments across settings becomes much more better informed by actual mastery tasks that students are asked to do. And because that's what we're trying to figure out. Like what what do you what can you do with your skills? Yeah. In an applied sense. You know, there's one like I was thinking about this today. The test, I mean, I learn, you learn probably too. I watch videos. I I'm, you know, interpreting all kinds of signs and symbols all the time. I'm listening to things auditorially. I, I learn in so many more and different ways than I did when I was in high school. And none of that is represented on these tests. <laughs> right. That's one thing. So there's a huge blind spot there. <laughs> um, as we learn to use technology in new ways and, and, and enhance student learning with the help of those technologies um, and give students the ability to, you know, build a sort of repertoire of skills that works for them and the way their minds work, <laughs> which is kind of cool. That's not on the, the test. And I'm sure that people will be thinking hard. I hope people will be thinking hard about um, not privileging one kind of learning over another so mightily as we do now. Um, 
the other thing I will offer is that I do believe deeply, Russell, that schools and colleges have to work a lot better together. Yes. So at one point in my career, I spent time in five different states and I had, we had a high school district, couple of, couple of high schools represented in some big districts, community college and state university faculty in English and writing and math sitting together at tables for actually for a couple of years to look at student work and try to align the expectations of performance. And the faculty that did that work in Oklahoma, in Maryland, in, um, let's see, where else were we? We were in Washington, a um, bunch of really amazing people said it was the best professional learning they had because they were better, far better understanding what it would take to move a high school sophomore, junior, senior into the level of performance that they expected of them in the first couple of months of college. Mm -hmm. That to me, that kind of, you know, alignment is far closer to what we're after than what a standardized test offers. Right. Yeah, I agree. You know, if you can go into your comp class and do this, these five assignments, you're great, you know, and AP sort of stands in that space right now. AP is the only thing that we have where college faculty and secondary school faculty kind of work together and figure out a curriculum and say, okay, we're going to give credit for college level coursework in high school. But certainly that can be done in states and regions. Mm hmm all all very fascinating and you know and i'm i'm lucky enough to have not scored very well on the sat when i was applying to colleges and i found a school that saw past a test score and i had professors that pulled me aside and was like, what are you doing in class? You're far, you are ready for this. Don't, don't sweat the small stuff. Just come in and do it. And I had a building principal here that was, nope, we, I know you didn't want to be a high school counselor. You wanted to be a middle school counselor, come in. We think you have something. Like, I really believe that people need to look at an entire individual and their and their their performance across time and in and in capstone kinds of projects far more than than a standardized test. And yeah, I, think, I, mean, I think we're moving in that direction. I hope so. I mean, look at engineering, for example, as a field. You know, so many opportunities for us to potentially better align and seed experiences earlier in students' high school experiences that they can apply science in ways, do things, tinker, play, show that they have aptitudes in those areas and nurture those students along the way so that we graduate more students who will feel prepared and confident enough and are ready for that kind of a curriculum. Uh, I just feel like, well, you know, we're losing bleeding talent all along the way um there's that and there's also i'm um, this is my, maybe not gonna end up on the recording we'll see but 
I do feel like we're showering a particularly tiny segment of the population with an enormous number of resources and not sharing those resources, educational resources as broadly as they need to be shared in order to really cultivate the nation's talent. I, I, I have this and I'll, we'll kind of have to wrap up here in a minute. I'm reading this book with, with my, some of my ninth grade students and it's uh, the chapter we just read is about food and and how food is produced globally and the statistic was if we produce a billion tons of grain two billion tons of grain humans consume a billion tons we feed animals a billion tons of grain and we get a million tons of meat from that grain so there's this deficit what could we do how much better off would we all be if we took the grain that we fed to the animals and didn't produce animal waste and less food and fed the people who don't have so it's just i think that i i i agree when you make that analogy about we're bleeding off talent i think that we i think that that's that's happening and it's sad and how much better would we be if we're giving those resources to everybody as opposed to a few? Yeah. And you also point to something that I'll just, you know, in honoring your work, especially, there need to be people out there, as you described in your own life, who are noticing and, and encouraging you to develop your talent. And you can't kind of have enough kids, I mean, adults in, in students' lives helping and trying to recognize that and remind them of that. I mean, everybody, when they goes off to go off to college, feels like they don't belong there, you know, <laughs> at the beginning. Um, and I had professors in graduate school pull me aside at some fancy plants universities and say what you, you said, you know, what your teacher said to you. I didn't, you know, I was, and it's, it's, it, it matters a great deal. It matters a great deal. And, but you have to be there to notice. You have to have enough folks around to support. And yeah, that's 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 the real work. And my my high school <laughs> guidance counselor told my mother and I in a meeting that I should go to trade school because I wasn't smart enough to go to a four-year college. So on one hand, I tried every day to be not my high school guidance counselor. I try every day to be more like my high school chemistry teacher was like, you know, Russ, you're not the best math student, but I, I can help you. I want you working with me. So, you know, that we, we need more people who are willing to see past that little shortcoming of, in this case, bringing it kind of back around a bad test score. What yeah, do you have to offer the bigger community? That intercession matters a lot. And I'll, uh, when uh, when I was at Wellesley, one of the things that we found most most productive, and we did quite a lot of cultivation around this, is when alums had recognized a young woman who actually decided that that setting was going to be one that she could be successful in. It's an academically pretty intense place. It's not, you know, for the faint-hearted folk. <laughs> or we had teachers that we would cultivate who had flagged young women. Um, that was the best pipeline for us because, you know, somebody who was thoughtful and understand, understood the context was saying, 
this is somebody I think you should be looking at. And and it, it really helped us along in all different sorts of situations and all around the country and the world. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, thank you, Heather, for joining me today. We'll we'll Thank we'll you. figure we'll figure out something else that we can work on together. I hope so. I'd like to-